Good afternoon, podcast listeners. This is Rob Plouffe. Welcome back to Mid-Michigan Bowling News, the podcast for bowlers in the greater Flint area and the state of Michigan. All right, welcome to podcast number 16, Mid-Michigan Bowling News. And I have invited my best friend, Mr. Bob Tubbs, back for another round. Last week, we only got through about half the questions I wanted to get through with him. And uh, it's looking like the way this is going, we'll be lucky if we can get through half of the ones I want to cover again today. So we may end up doing this a few times. Oh, that'd be nice. I, I think that uh, we both enjoyed our last uh, podcast. That was fun. I think it turned out pretty well, and uh, we're going to do it again. And uh, I've had a few people say to me, hey, maybe you should turn that into the Plouffer and Tubbs show. <laughs> it did turn out pretty good, and uh, it, it is actually um, on my Podbean uh, feed. It is one of the most listened to podcasts in at least the last 30, maybe the last 60 days. But cool. I've only been doing this since uh, mid-March. So uh, everything went well. Um, it is June 7th, 2020. Um, the governor, Governor Whitmer, announced uh, last week that she was going to start to reopen some things. Um, most businesses are going to be able to reopen by June 15th. Uh, at least at limited capacity. So um, I kind of took that as the Bolinelli's may be able to open on June 15th, but I don't think that they are. Um, I have not heard any bowling alley that is opening in the greater Flint area yet. Um, I know that there are some kids who are itching to get out there and get bowling. Oh, yeah. But I don't think that any of them are bowling or any of the bowling alleys are opening yet. Um, I am hearing rumors that some bowling centers may not open until September. Uh, because of the uh, six-foot social distancing rule and they're only going to be allowed to use every other lane, some bowling centers are uh, kind of thinking that it might not even be worth their time to open because summertime is usually slow time anyways. And uh, as I said, it's June 7th already, so we'll see how that goes. Um, we're going to cover a little bit of the coronavirus in our podcast today and what kind of effect that this may have on the bowling community. But, um, welcome back to the show, Mr. Tubbs. Yeah, it's great to be here. Had, a, had, had a blast last time. Happy to have you again. So, um, I've got some some uh, questions that we're going to go through again, but the first thing I want you to cover with our listeners is um, give us a little bit of your bowling experience uh, through the years, okay. and uh, tell everyone how long it's been since you've really bowled competitively, and why. Okay. How come you have not bowled competitively? And, uh, and I'll interject a few things because I know you and I have talked before when we started coaching. This is your going to be your 16th, 17th, 17th season, 17th season at coaching at Davison. But I know when we started and, and um, you get into coaching, it, it takes up all of your time. But when you're serious about bowling, uh, you really don't need to do anything else when you're coaching. No. It's, it's, it feeds it's... that uh, desire. Oh, yeah, To definitely. be in the bowling center. So, uh, go ahead. The mic is yours. Tell us your, <laughs> tell us some of your bowling experiences, and then tell us how long it's been since you bowled competitively and why. Okay. Well, I've had three, three lives in, in bowling. Um, obviously, my competition side, which is my youth and adult uh, time, uh, my time that I spent as a member of the uh, American Bowling Council for the Flint area and the United States Bowling Council for the area and my third life would be my coaching life um, my bowling life didn't start off as early as a lot of kids I think I was 14 uh, years old the first time that the neighborhood kids were kind of saying hey we're gonna put a bowling team together and everybody was bowling at Blue Jay Lanes uh, the, the currently called Richfield Bowl and we only got us, only as old people would know it as Blue Jay Lanes <laughs> that's right Blue Jay Lanes and <laughs> Prior to that, my parents bowled on set on Sunday nights uh, with my aunt and my uncle, uh, four people that are are big, uh, that were huge influences in my life. And my big interest at, uh, at Blue Jay was the pinball. I, I really only wanted to go to Blue Jay to play pinball. Um, but I, but you know that was when I was when I was little. Uh, when when I got to be fourteen, we had a little neighborhood team with with. Uh, uh, the neighborhood kids and I competed and I, and then you know at 15 I guess I wasn't good enough they didn't ask me back <laughs> <laughs> um, at 16 though I was 
uh, I was in high school, and there were some guys in the neighborhood that had a team, and they called me down to their house, and uh, uh, at, told, asked me if I wanted to bowl with them, and told me I had to, to uh, and I said, yeah, I would be thrilled. I'd be thrilled to be part of the team. Uh, but they hazed me and made me drink a raw egg um, <laughs> to uh, initiate me into, into the team, which uh, was... Whoa. Was that a, obviously stuck with you. That was a, yeah. Well, actually, uh, uh, Ed Childs was the captain of that team, and the, the brains behind the raw egg kick uh, was uh, is a friend of the folks that do our team photographs. And the first time we brought him in to do photographs, he asked me if I make the kids drink raw eggs for to join the Davison team, and I said <laughs> no. And you must be a friend of Eddie Childs. Um, but um, you know it, that's that's where it started. I got I got a hunger for it. I was. I was the, the the smallest guy, the probably not the strongest guy, and not the fastest guy, and definitely not the best bowler. But it motivated me right away to work on my game to be as good as these guys. My dad took me to GLC. I got my own ball. Howard drilled my equipment, which was you know obviously more more of a recognized event later in my life than than than, than the day it happened. Um, as I became more and more. Uh, Educated about the Flynn area and, and the bowling that, that went on. So this was probably, yes, this would have probably been 1980 or 1979. And then started bowling with these neighborhood kids. Uh, and then after that, uh, I, I joined a team with my church group. And then after that, I put a team together with, my, with a bunch of seniors I graduated high school with. Then, of course, the infamous trip to Ohio. Yes. Where um, I was, and, and to tell you the truth, I wasn't actually going to bowl that tournament. I was walking around bees after we finished up. It was my senior year, and I was really, I guess I was just waxing, waxing nostalgic. I was sticking around. Well, come to, here we are. It's the last day of, bowl, of bowling. Everybody's gone. I'm the only one still there when Loretta came walking out of the back, and she said, what are you still doing here? And I said, oh, just, you know, thinking about not bowling anymore. And she was like, what do you mean, not bowling anymore? And and uh, she said, why aren't you going to bowl in the tournament to go to the Dick Rickers? And I said, what tournament? And then she told me about it. And we we're going to bowl four games in four different houses. And the top guys were going to represent Flint in this, this, this national tournament. So, uh, and like I said, that's, that's already been covered before. You and I hooked up as friends. And uh, we had a hell of an experience. And it just, just took off like a rocket ship after that. You and I... It's been an overrun. We bowled everywhere together: Ohio, Indiana, New York, uh, Wisconsin. Uh, it was just you know, it was a blast all over all over Michigan, MJMAs and you and, and tournaments and everything, um, and it was an incredible experience. Had some had some really a lot of fun. Um, when we went into the the men's leagues, uh, you got there a year before me. And then and I came up, and then, you know, things things were a little slow out the gate, but, uh, you know, like we've covered before, worked out with Don and took the game to another level. Uh, was, you know, very uh, fortunate to be part of a city tournament team with you and Nick and Kenny and John, and then later on uh, won the Bisco with uh, Cooper and and Kuhn and Wags and uh, Mark Michaels and Ozzy Kosky. Do you remember then, what year it was we won the city tournament? Oh gosh, 1993. 93. I, I was gonna say I, was, I think it was the year I got married. So yeah. So um, I don't know how you feel about this, but uh, I didn't think it was that big of a deal that we won the city tournament. But when you look back on the history of things, no, it's like that was a pretty big deal. That was a really big deal. Well, not only that, but um, Kenny won the singles. Kenny won the all events. And Kenny swept it, didn't he? I think I think no, I think Kenny and Nick won the doubles. Kenny. McTaggart won the singles, and Kenny got all events. But the story that people don't know is Nick subbed on a team on opening night of the tournament, and if he doesn't sub that night, Nick wins all events because uh. he because he shot much better in our team event than he did in that team event he subbed in, which he wasn't planning to bowl in. And total pins for the group, we finished extremely high in every uh, every event. I, I would say that if they were doing like they do with the ABCs and USBCs, we probably would have had the highest pin count for anybody there at the tournament for one team. I remember um, bowling that uh, city tournament. That was, I mean, 
we were on fire with uh, Nick and Kenny and John Roof and and you and I. We were we were tearing it up, and uh, that was a fun we, team. We knew we knew we were shooting for first place that night. Yeah, it, it that was, was fun. It was apparent right out the gate, especially when Kenny was hitting it and, and Nick was hitting it. And I think I had a 250 the first game, and then just kind of average for the next two. And I think you had a big second game. John had a big third game. Um, I think we were all the scores were, were were very high. It was it was a very uh, memorable experience, no doubt. Yep, no doubt about it. Um, so you know, winning that and then winning the Bisco with with Wags and then winning then then um, hooking up with Sean after the you know in, in, when things had changed with uh, the City League, uh, you and I had already fallen out of it, but hooking back up with him was Clark Satterley and Gussie and. Lloyd Hodge and uh, winning the city, winning that. Um, that's those are some incredible experiences, uh, and winning those big big name tournaments. Um, I think I finished. I finished well if you, if you consider my career being finished. I don't know if it is or not, <laughs> but let's say it is at this point. Um, with uh, 11 three hundreds and two eight hundreds, one in the Playboys and one in the Bisco, and that was the highest series for the Bisco that year. Um, and then I think I had, uh, didn't you bowl that on the last night of bowling? Last day of bowling? Oh, the 812? Yeah. Uh, at Bisco? Uh, it was second to last. Okay. I it knew was, it was. It was the week before the last position round before the roll off. And, uh, yeah. And then we came back and we ended up winning the league that year. So I had the 812 and then we won the league. So that was a, that was a, that was a hell, that was a hell of a season. So um, when was that, that you kind of stopped bowling competitively? Well, as... As my family started to develop, um, I started kicking back a little bit on my leagues and pulling back on the reins a little bit, you know. Um, and with the uh, left the bowling association after 20 years, um, and we stopped going to nationals and we stopped going to states and stuff. And so I think the last time I went to states was you and me, Killer, Roof, and Gussie. It was the last time, or not Gussie, Gothier. G- Gothier. Yeah. It was the last time I went to that, um, and that was that kind of overlaps with as I started to coach. That was. I think when we did that was like 2008, maybe, yeah, was when like we went to state tournament. Yeah. Somewhere around that time. A-frame teams. Um, and then we kind of kind of fell out of that. But uh, it, it, it was kind of a, like a teeter-totter. As I, as I got more involved with the high school bowling, I got less and less involved in actual bowling. And um, I think I bowled three games in the last four years, maybe five years. Um, as uh, I had neck surgery, uh, I had uh, a... a a uh, plate put in my neck to repair my neck and pretty much as I came out of that I don't think I've like I said I think I've thrown three games since then try about five or six years um, so um, now I have to have back surgery so it's something that it's not critical at this point um, so I've been putting it off because Kaylee's regular season and off season and trying to keep you know you know her, her on on point until her, you know, she finished up, which she finished up, uh, she's finishing up this year, uh, last year, uh, that I could find some time to get the back done. So, because I, believe it or not, I am interested in bowling in the senior leagues. So, you are? Yeah, I'm 54. I kind of got, got that hint the other day when you were talking about your yeah. birthday and people are kind of hinting that, hey, next year you're going to be eligible for the senior league. So mm-hmm. you do have a little interest in that then. Yep. Not this coming season, but the following season. Uh, okay, would be so that leads into my question. My main question for you is going to be someone who has been as competitive as you were for so many years and involved in everything from running the leagues to the <laughs> bowling association. To, mm-hmm. I mean, you've, you've been involved in every possible aspect of bowling. Yes. Do you actually miss throwing the ball? That's my question. There, You know, we'll be at practice sometimes and the kids will be bowling and I'll be standing by the rack and... Uh, there might be a half a rack up or something. There'll be a ball sitting there, and I'll think to myself, you know, why don't you just grab that and throw that down the lane and see if you can knock down the rest <laughs> of those pins. Um, there, there is a. I wouldn't be talking about bowling in the seniors if I wasn't a burning desire to get back in the lanes. Right. I'll tell you right now, there is a desire to compete in the game. I love this game. Uh, this game, like I said, when I started bowling at Blue Jay at 14 years old, I wasn't the strongest. I wasn't the 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 biggest, I wasn't the fastest, I wasn't the uh, most coordinated, maybe. Um, 
guy on my team, but yet I had an opportunity, but, but, but there were opportunities during the season, not as many as for the others, for me to be, to lead the team. And that created a arena or a field or, or, or an area of, of competition where I could, I could compete. And it's something that with my high school team that I think all the time. When kids come to the tryouts, you just don't know what you're going to find in these kids. Yep. It's not about size or strength or or now ability does come into play. Athletic ability and and strength are going to come into play. Uh, those people are going to win more often than the ones that don't have it. But there is a there is there is an ability to find the bowler in somebody who may not be have any of those skills. And when you're young and you're growing up and you're the youngest guy in the room. You know you're gonna have a hard time keeping up with those teammates, but if you work at it and you and you and you and you strive, I mean here we are. I mean I don't I don't know five years later I was better than all of them. Ten years uh, later, you know I'd done things that, that they had never done. Um, I'd taken my game to levels that they hadn't seen, um, and you know and, but it's always been that way. When it was me and you and Chapel and Reeser and uh, Roof, I mean there was there was a push you're you're going to be pushed to match your opponent but there's an even bigger push to be part of the team and to not let your teammates down and that was that was something that was very important to me in my competition i have to hold my end up i have to do what i have to do i cannot create a situation where i'm a liability and i have to create a situation where these other four guys know they can count on me to be the best i can be and there and in that it is to try to be better than my teammates, not as a rival, um, but as to prove yourself an equal within within the teammate, within your team, and you've got to. Um, I saw there's a commercial, and I know I'm deviating here, um, and I don't remember who's in the commercial, but the person's it's a Gatorade commercial, and they're telling them. Find yourself a rival. Find someone to push you. Find someone to make you want to go a little harder, a little mm-hmm. faster, a little better to try to improve and to keep improving and don't stop improving and keep working. And don't don't ever relax. Um, and don't ever give in. you got to keep pushing, pushing, and pushing. And you got to find that person to push you. You and I push each other a lot. Um, and I found ways to... to Push with Chapel and, and push with Roof and and other teammates at other times, but you, you were probably my chief motivation because we would push each other hard to be better. It was great that we did well, and and I, and there's there's one line that I, that uh, from the old A-frame teams that I still remember. I throw it to my high school bowlers all the time. You throw the first one in the tenth, and instead of saying great shot or good or 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 way to go, it was you haven't done nothing yet. You know. Yeah. Don't, you know, don't relax. Don't get comfortable. Don't don't come back here thinking you're done because you've got you know the next one's even more important because it gets you that, that third that third fill ball. And now you know if I go up and get a three count on the, on the third ball, there's a story for you. Um, <laughs> we won't tell that story on the podcast. <laughs> but um, it's the ultimate put your foot in your mouth story. But um, <laughs> it's you know you're trying to get to that ball and your teammates they are going to be proud of what you're doing. But the best teammates you're ever going to have are the ones that. Push you. push you no matter how good you are yep. no matter how good you've been no matter how good you think you can be that they push you because they know you can get more and more and more out of you you just gave me push chills legs. with that story because so, that is i didn't realize where where i heard it or where it came from but coaching uh megan tim in the state finals this year um every shot i kept telling her you haven't done nothing yet yep. keep going you got to keep pushing. It uh, it was just natural. I I remember saying that to her. You haven't done nothing yet. You better don't let up because you never know what's going to happen. We were on the cusp of the um, Banger John Glenn. I hadn't won it yet. And we'd been in the final, uh, I think, twice. It was our third time being there. This was a Tyler-Joey team, Tyler Green-Joey Hoover team. And we had uh, Utica Ford on the ropes. And the guy's going, we got this, we got this. And every time someone goes up, okay, we haven't done nothing yet. No, we haven't done nothing yet. Two balls, ten, ten pins, two balls, ten, ten pins. Tubby, we got this. Tubby, we got this. No, 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 we don't have nothing. You got nothing until the score's done. You got nothing until they throw their last ball. You got nothing until we mathematically have created a situation where we cannot lose. 
you can't get comfortable. And they were both kind of looking at me like I'd lost my mind, but I just did not want to see this slip. I'd seen it too many times. Oh, yeah. I'd seen it in the adults. I'd seen it in the kids. I'd seen it on TV. I mean, we're bowling on a Friday night. Val Sherlock, who is somebody, you know where I'm going, oh, yeah. somebody who has, you know, has been an all-star and been a, and been a, a city champion and, and one of the best bowlers to come out of the Flint area, and he needs five or six pins on two balls to beat us, and he throws a four count, th- takes the heart out, and somehow through the, uh, through the same exact shot, the same exact shot, went through the same exact hole and got a four miss. And without without the ball leaving the lane, and we win the game. Oh, yeah. To everybody's astonishment and to Paul Snyder's disbelief. Um, <laughs> and Bob Wagner's, for that matter. Um, and sorry, Val, if you're out there. Um, but you just cannot take it for granted. Yep. Um, Del Ballard Jr. on television. All he needs to do is hit the pins to win a PBA title, and he, chuck, and he chucks one in the ditch. My I mean, own daughter did it. My own daughter, Lindsay. In her, uh, it was probably her junior year. We were bowling the Utica, uh, Utica doubles tournament down there in Ark Sterling or Sterling Lanes, and uh, she gets to the tenth frame. She needs a uh, thirteen pins to win the game. She gets, uh, she leaves a ten pin, picks up the spare. She just needs three pins to uh, win the game, and she threw threw it in the ditch, and uh, they lost. They were eliminated. Um, it was a lesson for me. It was a lesson for her. She learned from it. I learned from it because I I blew my top. I, I couldn't believe she did it, and um, it, it was something that I learned that you know if you ever get in that situation as a coach, you gotta you gotta you gotta talk to your kids. Keep, you gotta tell grounded. them, hey, look, throw the ball down the middle of the lane, get it away from the gutter. You just need three pins here. Well, you were telling me about the girl, Hannah wins the state singles title, and you said the girl she bowled in the first round wasn't keeping track of the score and yeah. actually threw away a shot. Yes. Yeah. That, that could have could have helped her eliminate Hannah. Now Hannah never looked back from that match. Yep. But you, it's so important to keep your focus on everything that's going on in the lanes. Okay, so you answered my question. Do you miss bowling? The answer is yes. You miss it. So at some point you'll get back into it. Yes. Um, I I took a break uh, from leagues and bowling for roughly five years. Um, and you and I both went back to college. In our later years, mm-hmm. which uh, affected our bowling as well, because oh, yeah. we couldn't bowl because we were going to school. Um, but I will tell you this: once you, after you take a little break and you go back, um, and I've said this to kids before, people that I've coached, it's like riding a bike; you don't forget how to do it. And when you get into those situations where there's some competition and you need a mark to win a game, uh, them competitive juices come right back. It, it don't matter that you're 50 years old. No, <laughs> it comes right back and. Uh, it is cool. It is fun. Um, I don't shoot the scores like I used to, but um, it's fun. I, I do enjoy bowling, and for the most part, what I really enjoy is bowling with my family. Um, we've been bowling. Last year, we joined the Sunday night uh, mixers league up at Richfield, I'm bowling with Lindsay and Joey, Pam and I, and we're we're switching with Joey's parents, and my daughter Hannah and her boyfriend Zach are bowling in that league. So, um, it, it's a really fun league. It is definitely something that when you get back into it, you're going to notice, uh, yeah, nothing's changed. It's still the same. <laughs> I still know everything that, I, that I'm that i teaching, and uh, nothing has changed. So, Well, I, I hope so. I mean, that's that's <clears throat> ultimately my goal, to You'll get, get the surgery done this summer or maybe next summer. Okay, um, so we've been uh, BSing here for a while, so you kind of led into my next question. Okay. While you were talking about um, you can take certain kids who maybe aren't the, the best athlete oh, okay. and, and you can help them out. So this is my next question for you. How important do you think coaching is? How far can a bowler go without any coaching? Wow. Um, well, there's, there's a few answers in there. Let me, let me sort for just a moment. Um, first of all, um, how important is the coaching? The coaching is, is that set of eyes outside of your body that you just can't see. I mean, if I go up and I'm making the shot and I'm making the shot and I'm making the shot, I mean, there was a point where uh, it was a few years, more than a few years after I bowled with Don, and when I and I was getting, you know, getting going, I called Chuck Hawes. Chuck Hawes is working with all these high school kids, you know, and I signed him up, up with Chuck, and I walked into his classroom, and he's, he's doing three kids a night, five, six nights a week, 
And he says, where's Ryan? Where's Kaylee? I said, what are you talking about, Ryan Kaylee? This is Tubby's time. He said, what are you talking about? I said, oh, you're working with me. And he goes, he goes, oh, he says, what's up? And I said, my game has kind of evolved into something I don't like. I'm not getting what I want out of my game. And Chuck and I worked out, and he he saw where my game had gone to, and he changed some things around and got me back to where I needed to be, and got me back to where, and I got my scores back where I wanted them to be. It's, you can't do these things on your own. You have to have, I mean, you could record yourself and watch the recordings. You could, you know, uh, videotape and use your phones and use your use your uh, iPads and stuff like that. But you've got to have someone to bounce things off of. you got to have somebody to make suggestions. you got to have somebody who can coach, uh, even if they're not a certified coach, but somebody that can watch and see what there is in there. And then you have to dedicate yourself if, to wanting to improve. There are bowlers out there that come through our program that throw the ball a certain way, stand a certain way, and that's what they want to do. They don't want to change anything. Those, those people are hard to coach. Probably because somewhere along the line, a dad or an uncle or somebody said, this is how you bowl. And they don't want to change. So they may not want to improve. And that's going to be quite a struggle. There, But there are the other ones who come in and right away you say, okay, can I suggest something? Can we try something? And you know, you can, you can find a way to help them improve. The athletic and the gifted ones are going to get it very fast. They're going to get it and they're going to pick it up. I always said that if an athlete who's not a bowler was to try out, and if somebody bowled their entire life who's not very athletically gifted, um, that athlete's going to catch up very quickly. The uneducated bowler or the inexperienced bowler or the unathletic bowler, there's success there. We can find success for them. They may have a ceiling that they can only go so high, but we can get them to the, we can get them as high as we possibly can get them and it goes back to the things like don taught us the drills making sure you know start with a balance point are you balanced at the line are you keeping your balance point are you getting through are you following through are you doing what you need to do are you keeping the shoulders down are you finding you know and then and then teaching them how to adjust for the different spares and how to you know and helping them with their equipment and helping them with how to make how to make their decisions and how, how to change and things like that I've seen dedicated bowlers who, who aren't very athletically gifted but are smart enough to listen to what you say that have that get success, that find success they shouldn't find. And then I've had athletic bowlers, athletic people who come in who aren't, you know, really bowlers and they become skilled because they just because pure athleticism. You know, they can figure out that well, I threw it I threw it there and it went to the right. So if I move left, maybe it'll it'll go back to where I can get it. They figure it out a little bit faster. The um, the most interesting story I have over my 16 years would be a young man who came into our program with uh, uh, autism. I know where you're going with this and, story. Uh, he tried out his first year, and uh, it was too noisy. And he came to me, and he said, "I'm going home." I said, "Okay." And he says, "And uh, he didn't come back, which was strange." And then his sophomore year, he came in, and he tried out, and um, he bowled well. Well, bowled well for himself. We put him on the JV program, and he hid under the bench during the national anthem, with his hands over his ears. Um, he had a real difficult time with the teammates, had a real difficult time with the, with the whole process, but he stuck it out and he got through his first year. And by the end of the year, you know, there wasn't so many hands in the ears. And by the end of the year, there wasn't so many, um, there was a little bit more interaction with the teammates. And then that summer we, he decided, uh, to do some workouts with some of the other bowlers. And we worked out with, with this young man and, we saw some improvements, and he he didn't make it to varsity, but he became the best bowler he could possibly be by the time he graduated his senior year, and he was so much better and so farther along than we thought he'd ever get, and the successes that he had was 
It was unbelievable. It was inspiring. Um, it really was unbelievable. Um, the he night actually, he actually turned into a really good bowler. <laughs> he did. He shot two forty seven at Cloud Bowling Arcade, and the place was roaring every time he threw a strike. I think he had six or seven in a row at one stretch. The place was roaring. He was smiling from ear to ear. He wasn't putting his hands over his ears. He wasn't hiding under the benches. People were high-fiving him. Everybody knew him. Everybody knew his story. Everybody knew the challenges that he had to overcome. Damn, that kid was good. And if it's just inspiring that if somebody with those kind of limitations... And those kind of hurdles managed to get to where he got to. Um, I mean, it's it, if he can do it, why can't anybody else do it? Why can't any other kid do it? Why can't a, why can't a kid that you know has a weight problem, or a kid that's undersized, or a kid that's not very strong, or a kid who's not coordinated? If if this young man could have the success that he had, then anybody could have it. So, so the answer to the question, how important is coaching? You just said it. It's extremely important. It's extremely important. Um, how far can a bowler go without coaching? Not very far, probably. I, you you, you know, got to have somebody else to, uh, anybody who's, who's achieved a lot of success in any sport has had, coaches that oh, have yeah. helped them along the yeah. way it doesn't matter what sport it is but um yeah ryan's story is pretty it's yeah. inspiring it's that that's the one if there's a if there's one memorable person that and uh that just as a coach i think that's a the nice thing about the sport of bowling too yeah. for for us is um i have a girl on our jv team this year who has down syndrome um we can take anybody. Oh yeah, and and we can make them pretty decent bowlers. I mean, it, you guys proved it with Ryan for sure. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, there's there's other aspects to that too. Like my first year, my first year coaching, I'll never forget this either. I had a girl on the team. I won't I won't name any names, but this girl was, uh, uh, I guess you would consider her a, a loner. Um, she didn't speak to anybody. This girl would go up and throw the ball, come back, put her headphones in her ear, and go sit at a different table. Never said a word to anybody. So I walked over to her and said, what are you doing? And she said, what do you mean? And I said, well, I'm not going to have you sitting over here with your earphones in, not listening to me, and not interacting with your team. It's not going to happen. Yeah. You, you've, got to, you've got to start interacting with your team if we're going to be successful. You, you have to start communicating. And uh, she did not want to do that at all. And... Within a year, that girl was a captain of the team. Hmm. She was the voice of the team. That's good. So that stuff can happen. It, oh, yeah. It really can. I mean, I, I, I would guess that if you were intelligent enough, you had the resources, and you, you bought the videos and the, and, the, and the things, you could be coached through you know, the video analysis, stuff like that. But I just don't, I just don't know how far you're going to get if you don't seek out some form of coaching. We've got a lot of tools nowadays as coaches oh, yeah. that um, others before us didn't have. The, the iPhones, the the tablets, the being able to video and slow down mm -hmm. the video and see things in slow motion that you couldn't before. I mean, what a tool. If you're, if you're not using that as a coach, you better start thinking about doing it because it is a great tool to oh, use. Oh, the uh, um, coach's eye. Yeah, and you can draw on the screen and do those things. That software is, I mean, it's it's relatively inexpensive, and you put that on an iPad and you stand to the side and watch the kids bowl and record it, and then you can you can you know even draw on the screen in certain areas and show them you know okay look you're you know. I think the other big thing for coaches nowadays is the the statistics part of it. Oh if yeah. You're, if you're keeping track of stats and uh, those apps are out there available for people to do now, you really should should start doing that oh yeah brian started it. using the one uh my daughter and brian's daughter your daughter all both collegiately and but in ncaa they're required to have this this yeah. certain app and brian used it for his high school girls this year for the first time bullsheets um yeah bullsheets and uh he i he said it was you know very very enlightening yeah okay so that uh this kind of leads into my next question <laughs> 
as a coach, how important do you think the mental game is? I spent a whole <sighs> podcast talking about the mental game, and it's something that I really, really push on my end. What's your feeling on the mental game? Okay. Let's use my team from this season as a um, as a test subject. During the season, um, we had a couple of matches um, where we really didn't perform up to the level that we thought we should perform up to. Kevin and I were having Kevin Dyer, my assistant coach, um, had some communications about how this team worked and how they responded. But they didn't seem to respond to the, come on, let's, let's beat these guys. Come on, let's go out and have a good match. Come on, let's go out. Let's, you know, these guys want to beat you. You're, you're Davis and the, you're, you're the defending conference champions. They want to win the conference championship. They're coming for you. you got to be ready. We didn't see the motivation in that. They didn't take that to heart. They really didn't, didn't get into that. And we had a couple of our worst outings on nights when I really expected them to rise up. Now, if you go back into the past, the 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 the, the Tata Green teams, Joey Hoover teams, Chad teams, um, those teams, when you said, "Hey, you know, it's Grand Blank, hey, it's Carmen," um, they they got up for those matches. They got excited. They got you know going. And Kevin said, "This we're not getting that type of reaction out of these guys." And if you go back to some of Kevin's teams, like when he had um, uh, Quentin, and when he had some of the uh, some of his other bowlers. Um, there was a motivation factor for bowling us or bowling or bowling Grand Blank or anybody like that. But this team didn't seem to respond to that. And Kevin and I were trying to figure out where, where the response was. And we weren't getting what we wanted. And overall, average-wise, this was not one of my better average teams compared to other teams. Um, and we had a successful season. I think we were 10-3 and three in conference. Put us about third in, in, the, in the Big Nine, which a lot of D1 teams Second in there. Valley. Second of Valley. Sorry. <laughs> um, and... I think we were going into the um, regional tune-up, and I told you uh, that we were taking the gloves off, and we're going to go Port Huron Northern. Mm-hmm. I said, we're going Port Huron Northern today. And you kind of looked at me, and like, and I said, this these guys don't seem to get motivated. They can't seem self-motivate. So we're going to put – so what do you do? If you're fighting the man without fear – how do you beat him? Well, you put the fear in him. Well, how do you motivate a team without motivation? You put the motivation into him. So we, I told Kevin, I'm gonna, I'm going full board port here on Northern. Now that definition, when I first came into this program, 16 years ago, my first team was a bunch of young guys, didn't know what we were doing. Went to our first regional. Here's Port here on Northern, a team that's extremely successful. They have some exceptionally talented bowlers in their program. Uh, they they were constantly, you know, getting over the hump, uh, making the Elite Eights. Their singles bowlers were making the Sweet 16s for state championships. And they were all up, and they were all high five, and they were all yelling and screaming. And they were all, you know, um, they, you know, boom when they struck, which which didn't go over well with Miss Alexander. Um, <laughs> and they were really getting into it, and I paid very close attention to that. And then over the years, as our teams improved, we got a little more boisterous, a little more involved, a little more excited. So I said, we're going to put, so fast forward, I said, we're going to put the excitement into the team of the team that can't find their excitement. So we started off right away, first bowler, first guy, fill that frame. Come on, you can fill that frame. You got this, you got this. You know, make that, make that frame, fill that frame, all the way up to the approach. All the way back out the approach. Great shot. Way to be. That's the way to be. We're going to do this. All right. Who's up next? Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And then as the, as the marks, you know, and then if it was, you know, if everybody marks star frame, all right, star frame, way to go, guys. This is what we need. This is going to get us the States. This is how we get there. And we win the tournament. And I'm jumping up on doubles and I'm uh, flying across, you know, flying out of my chair on turkeys. And I am just, you know, just putting the excitement into them. And it's working. So this team that finished third in the conference, this team that was kind of lackluster in some of their tournaments, this team that really didn't show that kind of of response to the way we were trying to get them motivated, we found a way to get them motivated. We found a way to, to get the motivation in them. They go out, they win that, we take second at regionals, we qualify at states, and we go all the way to the final four before we lose to the eventual champion. And it was just like flipping a switch. It was just... Finding that motivation, finding that way to get a team that just didn't seem like they were getting there um, over the hump. 
And as a coach, that's your responsibility. And I'm sure you've had teams that responded to different stimulus, different ways over the years. Some of them probably took right to a chant or, or, or a theory. Some of them probably took right to a, a high five or, a, or, or maybe even they made up their own, you know, uh, high five routine. But, you know, as a coach, you got to find out which buttons to push to get the performance you want out of them. And as Dave Kowalski says, it's all preseason until you get to regionals. Mm-hmm. We found, you know, Kevin and I are, t- are talking. Why, how do we motivate these guys? How do we motivate these guys? How do we find it? These guys all bowl well, but for some reason it just didn't happen as a team. So how does that how does that apply to the mental game? What I understand what you're saying. You're motivating them. but You've got to help them. If they can't visualize it, you've got to help them visualize it. If they don't understand why visualizing a shot or thinking about positive performance or locking out the negative then you not, not then thinking not thinking about the negative you've or not thinking right sometimes you can just overthink it yeah that's the coach's responsibility sometimes the mental game is it's a block it's just it's just another hurdle it's you know how do you get you know how do you you know when we're coaching them in practice and it's working but we can't translate that over to match play in conference, but that's a mental block. That's that's a mental. That's a part of their mental game, and you've got to stop them. You got to sit them down, and you got to say that, you know, you're, you're overthinking this. You're you're working too hard on this. You're 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 not thinking about what you're supposed to be thinking about. So that's like I said, we had to put, we had to find a way to, maybe, flip off. Their ability to overthink it. We had to find the motivation. So what you're saying is your team was overthinking. I, I truly believe that, and that's what Kevin and Kevin said too. When you got them to relax and have some fun and hoot and holler and root on their teammates, they quit thinking about yep. it and the you know, natural they, uh, ability. When to they hear over. the coach, you know, cooing and cooing back there as they go to the approach, and and uh, you know, even sometimes get their name wrong just to see what how they react to that. Mm-hmm. Um, now there have been times I got the name wrong just because I got the name wrong, but uh, you know. Um, I think I, somebody was going up there and I called the wrong name and one of the guys said, that's not him. And I said, well, then damn it. He'll, I'm rooting for him then to, to do just as well when his turn comes up. Um, uh, but it's, it's, a, it's for the kids sometimes overthinking is worse than not thinking. Or, or than, um, I remember uh, many calls this season. Um, we... we for sure, between you and I, we bounce a lot of ideas off of each other while we were coaching our teams, um, and I'm thankful for that, for the years of that. But um, <laughs> I remember this season you calling me and telling me, I really don't know what to do with this team. I've tried this, I've tried that, and uh, I just don't get excited about anything. And I do remember the uh, regional tune-up tournament over there at Grand Blank Lanes, and you guys took off, and I... I really thought that uh, Flushing had a team that was going to give you guys a run for your money. They threw and, the ball well that and day. And maybe, maybe not even your team might might not make the states because Flushing might take your spot. And uh, for you guys to go as far as you did this year, that was a hell of a job. It was. It, it finally, it, you know, we ran out of, of opportunities, but it was, but it was a mental block. It was just, you know, they could go out and roll. You watch a team practice at Rollaway, and you think they were going to win state championship. I'm serious. And then we would go to a meet and it was like the whole team, everybody just kind of freaked out. Everybody just forgot, you know, they weren't having fun. They weren't communicating. They weren't kibitzing. They weren't, it was just the serious nature. And I said, I'm not fostering that. I'm, I'm trying to get them to be, stay loose and have fun with it. Um, but I think also that, you know, there's an expectation from teams before that maybe, you know, they weren't, that they weren't living up to them. And then when they lost a couple of conference meets and conference was out of reach, that they might have felt like, okay, well, maybe we're not as good as we think we are. But, you know, Kevin said it. He said, this team is extremely talented, but we can't, but they can't get over this little mental hurdle when they go into competition. So, you know, it was, if they can't get their mental game right, well, then it's my responsibility to, to push the buttons, try to make it, get them there. And, and I think part of that is visualization. And when you put the curtain up over the arrows, my, this is my favorite drill because it, it helps the mental game out a lot, is you, you have them work together with, you put the curtain, the curtain sits in the channels, and it, it's just past the arrows. It's a big black curtain, so they can't see the pins. 
and the bowlers work in tandem, and the first bowler throws the ball, and the and his partner tells him what he left. There's no peeking. It's not allowed to peek. You can't peek around the curtain and see that you left a 1-3. That's not going to help you. When the gentleman who you're working with or the coach says you left a 1-3, then you have to visualize the 1-3. That your, your arrow's there, your target's there. I have to get from here to there and throw the ball where I believe it'll hit the 1-3. So you're visualizing and it strengthens the mental game because now you're trusting your instincts and you're trusting what your, your, your game knowledge. This is how I get the ball to where those pins are supposed to be, even though I can't see them. So building the mental game is, is just as important and it's, it's a, a huge part of our practices. Okay, um, so how much would you say the mental game factors into um, just for your high school team? How much, how important is the mental game? If you were to give uh, it a percentage of this is this much important for my team to learn, what would the mental game factor in that? Compared I would say to the, the, the physical game compared to conditioning, other things. I would have to say. The importance of it is almost 50-50 to the physical game. The importance. Because if you if you physically can throw the ball down the lane, anybody can physically throw the ball down the lane. They can run and throw the ball, but but they gotta be able to to be balanced. They gotta be able they gotta know how to throw the ball down the lane. But you also gotta know that if I miss to the right and the ball overreacted, why that happened? Or if I missed inside and the ball skidded past the mark, why that happened when it should be the opposite way around. You understand what I'm saying? If you're on a house shot, you expect there's a there's a house shot expectation. But when you're on a Randy Allen pattern, a Broadway pattern, a middle road pattern, and you get the opposite reaction, you miss right and the ball overreacts. You miss left and the ball skids past the pocket. Mentally, you have to be able to understand why that happened and how you could correct it. I would say it's 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 about it's it's almost fifty percent, maybe forty five percent of the mental game, because there are times when physically you can line up and hit that same mark and have all your bowlers hit that same mark, and you can make decisions for your bowlers and you can move your bowlers. But the longer the day goes. And the and the, the 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 more frames into a tournament, the more important the mental game becomes. And if you've got a good team that can communicate that, and that's one of the things that Kevin pushes on these guys a lot, and I, I reinforce all the time, is that if we change pairs and you throw a shot that was exactly like the last one, but the reaction's different, then the first thing you should say when you come back to Kevin or I is, you know, this is different. This yeah. is different. Yep. There's a difference between this. And mentally, when that information is passed, how do you process it? So it's, it's you know, 45% of the game. This is just my personal opinion. Take it for what you want. But I think the mental game is way more than 45%. I think it's double that. Well, it, it is a big part of it. Um, yes, the physical game is important, but once you get that physical game and you're able to repeat shots, it's all mental. Yeah. Well, yes. Once you once you lock one down, yeah. lock one side of it down, the other side becomes so more important. And and uh, confidence is the biggest biggest factor in a bowler's. Oh yeah. That is it is huge, and it's extremely difficult to if you if you don't have confidence or you're you're struggling. It's extremely difficult to turn that around and get some confidence going. But um, some coach at some point in my life told me, if you're struggling, you think you're in a slump. There is no such thing as a slump, by the way. <laughs> um, but if you think you're in a slump and you're struggling, how do you get out of it? Bowl more. Yeah. You should bowl more. You should do more because... Bowl yourself out of it. Yes. The, the more you do it, the quicker you're going to come out of it. So yep. um, I learned that as I was bowling, like if I bowled in a league once a week and I thought I was struggling or in a slump. A slump might last a month when you're bowling once a week. But if I bowl twice a week, then it only lasts two weeks. If I bowl three times a week, then I'm going to be out of that might slump. Be, might in, only last one week. Yes, it might only last one week. So the more you bowl, the, the quicker you can get well, out I agree. Of if, you've got the, if you've got the physical side locked down, then you know that it's the only thing. But there's a lot of people that, you know, there are those bowlers that come through that just, you know, 
they're physically gifted and it's just a matter yes. of just getting the mental no i agree with that yeah and you got so you it's work on like i said part. but i would say but you know if you got the mental part of it but the physical game starts to slide that's why i said it's it's about 55 45 for me and you know there's a difference too there's there's the women's game and the men's game oh yeah and the women's you know one of the reasons and that i would tell my high school bowlers you should go to see alita sills and michelle mullen to get coaching or um uh who's the young lady that we bowled with in juniors lisa bishop um the men's amateur game is more in line with the women's professional game than the men's professional game because mm-hmm. the men's professional game is about is about inside covering as many boards turning the ball as, as much as you can and, and getting this ridiculous reaction where the professional women's game is more about timing release balance and consistency and i've told them i said don't feel like you have to go to a man coach because you're a boy because these women were on the women's tour and their game is more in line with where you want to be as as a high school bowler or an accomplished high school bowler um and you know i've got some kids that are that have done that they've gone down and seen uh, uh them uh a uh, young man in the kersley program ethan ethan burke yep. his his game just really took off when he started working out with those ladies and jeremy he, uh jeremy took the flushing program down there um for a workout with them and uh absolutely loved it i believe that they'll be uh, working out with Michelle and Alita for years to come. Yeah, we brought them for they we brought it. them for a camp down to Davison, and we they did a four hour workout where they 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 did one on ones with everybody, then they videotaped everybody, then they took everybody in the bar, and we watched everybody's videotape, and they critiqued everybody, and they said even if it's not your video, you should watch this because you could learn something. Yep. Then they took them back on the lanes, and they did one on ones with them again, and it was a great little it was a great little workout. We have trouble getting into their schedule because usually they're gone the first few weeks of august and that's the only time we can bring them in but um their their abilities are i mean my daughter both collegiately and halfway through a junior year she was 11th in the country in average and i a lot of that has to do with the years of training she had with michelle mullen um so if you're listening out there and you've got kids that are in high school it's these two ladies are extremely talented. At one time, they had a 15-year streak of state champions that they coached. Uh, people that won, that people that came to the programs that were state champions. And they're located in Farmington Hills. Farmington Hills at Country Lanes, and uh, it's yeah, it's a bit of a drive, um, but well worth it. Okay, guess what? We're 52 and a half minutes into this <laughs> got there fast. podcast, and I have only covered three of my questions okay. on, out of about 10. <laughs> so um, we're going we're gonna to go on here for about five more minutes. We're just going to touch on this real quick, and then we'll come back. Okay. Maybe next week we'll um, – this whole coronavirus thing. Oh, jeez. I want to just get your thoughts on it because my thoughts are pretty scary about what this is doing to the bowling centers, the, the game of bowling – the future of bowling. I want to get your idea. Like, what do you think is going to happen? Um, are you hearing anything? Uh, tell me. Tell me your thoughts on the the whole coronavirus. Okay. Well, this is this is individual opinion. Right. Uh, I'm this not, is just our opinion. Right. So. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a politician. Um, I'm just somebody who loves who the bull. Loves the bull. I'm and somebody coach. who has. Um, medical people in my in my family and and there and I have some general knowledge of the subject so that being said um, the last time that the country was shut down was 9/11 and if you remember the all the airlines stopped and all the transportation stopped and everything stopped because we didn't know there was this unknown out there we didn't know what what was going to hurt us what was not going to hurt us we had seen traumatic events play out on television. Um, and if you remember, there were um, anthrax scares and uh, threats and uh, shoe bombers and um, all kinds of things that uh, scared us and took our attention away and made us think, you know, if, if there's anything ever going to be the same. Slowly but surely, things return to what we would consider normal. 
People began to return to travel. People began to return to work. People began to travel. And things got back to the way they were supposed to be. A lot of parallels here. Although we are dealing with a pandemic, which is a disease, and it is something that we cannot see, something we cannot touch, something we cannot feel. We do not know if the person next to us has it, doesn't have it, does have it. What we do know is that 100 years ago there was a pandemic, 50 years ago there was a pandemic, and probably 50 to 100 years from now there'll be a pandemic. There'll be another one. And that this one, measures were taken to protect us. And those measures were taken to make sure that things didn't get escalate to, to ridiculous levels, and they didn't. So now as we slowly work our way back to things returning to normal, or what will be normal, slowly but surely we'll start off with everybody wearing masks. Soon nobody will be wearing masks. We'll start off with hand sanitizing when we get out of bed and when we go out to the door and when we go to the and when we get our when we get our paper and when we go out to eat and we we're going to sanitize and then slowly but surely that'll reduce itself and slowly but surely things will return to the way that they were and we'll it may even go back to shaking hands with the people we love and care about once again so the most important thing is at this point is to have faith that we're going to get through this and that we're gonna, and that we're gonna go back to the lanes, and that we're gonna go back to our teams, and we're gonna go back to um, competition and friendship and fellowship, and we're gonna, and we're gonna go back to having a to to the sport that we love, and it's just gonna be, it's just gonna take us a little time to get there. Hopefully, by the time we get to fall, we'll make some some big steps, and hopefully, by the time we get through to the end of this season and we get into next summer that uh, everything returns back to what it should be and what we hope it'll be. So I just say I'm a man of faith and I'm sure that, you know, we're going to get there. Well, we're three months with the uh, bowling centers being shut down here in Michigan where no one can go into a bowling alley and even practice a game. <laughs> um, they have reopened bowling centers in Wisconsin and in Ohio uh, some of our neighboring states. In fact, I know some people who are driving out of state to go bowl. Oh, yeah. To practice, to bowl in tournaments. So um, I do think it is coming. It will come back. Um, maybe not as quickly here as some of the other states, but uh, my fear is it's it's definitely going to be different. Um, high-fiving people, shaking hands before <laughs> and after a competition could be a little different. Um, but my biggest fear, <laughs> my biggest, biggest fear is these bowling centers um, I know they're in trouble. I know that financially, uh, I don't know that they can withstand this. And if people are scared to go back and join a league, um, this, this could be devastating to the sport. And I just don't want to see that happen. Um, I'm afraid, I'm afraid that we are going to lose some bowling centers in mid Michigan. I'm afraid that's going to happen. Well, I hope it does um, not. I hope I'm wrong. But I'm afraid that it's going to happen. Nobody's building new centers. And every year it seems like we lose a center or two uh, in the state of Michigan or, or, and, uh, and some near uh, and dear to our area right here. The best um, thing I've seen through all of this just uh, last week, Dodick, Rick Dodick up there at uh, Monitor Lanes, I seen a post on Facebook that he lanes. is installing new lanes and new scorers up there at Monitor Lanes. Bless yeah. his heart. Um, even though... Bay Lane's just down the road. Right, just closed. Just closing the doors. Oh. Monitor is redoing their bowling center. So uh, I hope that people support him and support that center. That's been a very important center for us for high school bowling, for, oh, especially yeah. especially for the Kersley team because we get to go there, seems like, every year for regionals. Um, but it is good news to see, and uh, hopefully we'll see some more of that. But just want to get your thought on that real quick. It's We're 59 minutes in, so we're going to have to wrap this one up. Um, again, I got, I got six more questions to ask you <laughs> on my original list that I thought we were going to get done in an hour. So yeah, <laughs> we're going to have, uh, Mr. Tubbs back for, I bet you at least two more times, probably more. I think, uh, you and I both find this real easy to sit here and talk about bowling. We've got a lot of experience with it. Yeah. It just comes natural to us. I do want to cover Greater Flint Youth, uh, Bowling Hall of Fame. Yes. Um, we're going to cover Very that both in the future. We're going to cover some more um, 
bowling centers and the uh, maybe what the coronavirus might affect as far as high school bowling goes on our next podcast. Um, I do want to get your thoughts on a lineup. What is it important? How important is it? How do you make your lineup? So we're going to cover that. And then I also want to cover the uh, MHSI BCA and how important that is to high school bowling okay. and your interaction with that and uh, the direction that that's going. So we're going to do this again. Um, we're over an hour into it. This is going to be my longest podcast ever. Uh, it's okay. Hopefully people enjoy it and uh, we'll continue to do it. Um, hoping that uh, some coaches and or kids that are involved in high school bowling are out there listening and they're picking a few things up from us. Because, uh, like I said, kind of comes natural to us to talk about bowling. So, thanks for uh, joining me again tonight. And uh, hopefully, if we wait another week to do this, uh, it'll probably be more than a week because I'm going to be out, out of town next week. Okay. Um, but we'll get back together and do this again. But uh, hopefully, the the uh, the next time we do this, things will start to open up and we'll, we'll get a little better idea of what's going on with bowling for sure because... I was kind of looking forward to doing the Cursed Bowling Camp in August, and I'm not really sure we're going to be able to do that. We're going to have to wait and see. So, uh, with that, one hour, one minute in, we're going to wrap this up. Thanks for listening tonight. Have a good night. Take care. <laughs>